Uh, that brings us to special item of business, item one, Legistar 44190, uh, Planning Division staff update on the comprehensive plan. Imagine Madison, Kirsty Latch. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Kirsty Latch from the City's Planning Division. Um, I'm joined by a couple of colleagues here this evening, Brian Gray and Colin Punt, who will be also stepping up here to talk about some of the topics we're going to cover tonight. Um, the last time we met was uh, February 23rd, and we talked a lot about um, the feedback that we've gotten so far in phase one of Imagine Madison, the comprehensive plan update process. Um, so tonight we're going to focus a little bit more on um, just a few updates, um, spending some time to talk about the resident panels and the feedback that we've heard from them. At the last uh, work session, we didn't have any of their feedback yet, so they've met and we're going to talk about that. We're also going to spend a little bit of time talking about um, reorganizing the draft goals, um, as well as a little bit of time talking about uh, the future land use map and the, the land use categories. So I'm going to start with um, the resident panels. So just to kind of give a quick refresher, um, resident panels our uh, proactive approach that we're using to make sure that we're engaging with historically underrepresented uh, residents in Madison. Um, so we're partnering with community-based organizations that have connections to Madison's communities of color, lower-income residents, um, the LGBT community, and other, you know, other groups to make sure that we hear from those residents um, as their voices have often been missing from the community conversation. So the selected community partners have convened um, panels of about 10 to 15 residents that are going to meet and discuss all the comprehensive plan topics throughout this process. At each of the three phases in the process, they'll hold meetings. Um, and we provided materials to them um, and provided them with some funding. And um, they'll be holding all these meetings on their own. We're not, like, attending any of these meetings. You know, we want them to be very flexible and open and candid to provide, uh, you know, genuine feedback to us. Um, so we're allowing that flexibility to make sure that we're getting the feedback in whatever way works best for those groups um, and removing as many barriers as possible. So giving them funding to cover space rental, uh, food, child care, transportation, and you know, different participation incentives like grocery gift cards and things like that. Um, we've got 18 resident panels in total. Um, we've compiled their feedback for this first phase of the process. Um, of the 18, um, we still haven't heard from two of the organizations. One of the Hmong organizations has not submitted their feedback quite yet, unfortunately. Um, and we also haven't gotten the feedback from Goodman Community Center's youth panel. But we do have most of the feedback, not quite 100% yet. But I'm going to talk about um, all the feedback that we have thus far. Um, so you can see this is the list of all the funded panels, and on the right shows the number of resident panels that they are um, convening for the process. Um, overall, just to sort of start this off, we've seen quite a few similarities between um, the resident panel feedback and the feedback from the overall public. There's a lot of similarities. Um, one major difference that we're seeing so far is the resident panels have placed a lot, you know, a greater focus on diversity and equity um, in relation to each of the topics. As I go through each of these topic areas, I'm going to pick out some of the similarities and differences between the resident panel feedback and the greater wider public feedback. 
Um, so the, the first thing that we did was we asked the panels to answer sort of these big picture questions. Uh, those questions were, how do you imagine Madison in the year 2040? Uh, what excites you about Madison's future and what concerns you about Madison's future? And overall, in, in this sort of part of the process, we heard a lot about equity and unity and welcoming atmosphere. The panels, almost every single one of them, have said so far, you know, growing diversity is great, but we're still not there yet when it comes to equity and, and the welcoming atmosphere that Madison needs. Um, I think every single one of the panels also talked about affordable housing in some way. Um, some of them, you know, were excited that 2040 we could have affordable housing, but many of them talked about their concern about affordable housing and how we don't really have truly affordable housing, not enough of it. And a lot of them also talked about regional transportation. That was a major theme. And many of them talked about the concern. Um, they're excited that we are seeking their input and engaging them in this process, but they're concerned that we will not actually use their feedback. Um, and that's something that we're obviously working to make sure that we, that we use the feedback as we work through these processes um, and try to be as transparent about that as possible. Um, for the second part of, of the feedback from them, we really focused on all of the draft goals, which uh, the same 13 goals that we discussed at the last time we were together at the work session. So I'm going to go through each of these um, individual topic areas. Um, so regarding housing, um, many of the panels talked about affordability, as I've, as I've said. Um, they, you know, we don't have enough truly affordable housing, and many of them also brought up that discrimination based on race, ethnicity, gender, religion, appearance, or ability is still highly prevalent in Madison and something that we need to work to address. Um, many of them talked about how we have a lot of high-end housing being built and not enough um, housing that more people can actually afford to live in. Um, and many of them talked about how it's hard to overcome the barriers to attaining housing, uh, such as conviction or credit issues, um, as well as you know, just the area median income for different subsidized housing and like wait lists and things like that. There was a lot of specifics on some of those issues. More details than I think the wider public got into. Um, uh, one other thing that was sort of a difference between the resident panels and the, the wider public feedback, uh, the wider public, some people mentioned that neighborhood associations uh, should have more power to exercise exclusion of density and affordable housing in the neighborhoods, and none of the resident panels supported that or mentioned that at all. Um, so that's a pretty, pretty big difference there. Uh, for transportation, um, this, for this topic area, it was quite similar to the, to the wider public's feedback. Lots of focus on the need for regional transit and the need for BRT. Um, a lot of the panels mentioned inner city high-speed rail, although there was one panel that was opposed to high-speed rail. Um, and then the other thing that the resident panel specifically brought up is that we should subsidize rates for low-income persons for transportation, um, you know, like bike shares and, and bus and, and that those sorts of transit should be subsidized. Um, for the land use goals, uh, I would say that this is one of the topic areas that the resident panels, compared to the other topic areas, they didn't really have as much feedback on this topic. Um, many of them did not support goal 
number five, the downtown is the primary activity hub, um, which I think a, a lot of the public also didn't find that to be as important, so that was similar. Um, the other thing that was brought up quite a bit is that green space conservation is very important regarding land use. Um, but yeah, again, overall they didn't talk about land use as much as some of the other topic areas. For economic development, um, there were quite a few similarities here. Um, the wider public also talked about ending income disparity and the wealth gap. Um, they talked about, the, the resident panels also talked about it, the increase, the need for the increase in minority-owned businesses. I think probably six of the ten organizations spent a lot of time talking about that in their feedback. Um, and they also talked about vocational programs, uh, the vocational training programs that could be expanded. So overall, it was a bit more equity-focused. And uh, similar to the general public, they thought that uh, this is a very important topic area, but we're not doing very well um, regarding economic development. For cultural and historical resources, um, this was one of the topic areas that was highly diversity and equity focused as well. Um, a lot of the groups talked about the fact that we have some cultural events and cultural spaces, but we need more. Um, and you know, specifically, there were some groups that talked about the need for safe spaces. You know, just, just meeting that sort of baseline that they don't have safe spaces that they feel comfortable in, you know, specific, specifically for youth and people of color, the LGBT community, especially the transgender and gender nonconforming communities um, and, and other marginalized groups. Um, in addition, many of them talked about the need for more multicultural events. We have, we have some, you know, cultural events and facilities, but a lot of them, talked about the need that they want they want to have lots of cultures coming together and learning from each other rather than like segregated events. Let's see. Okay, so for parks and open space, um, this was the goal that the wider public said that they rated it as the one the, the one goal that we're doing the best at, um, highly rated in terms of how we're doing. Um, but the resident panels had quite a few very specific issues in terms of parks and open space. Um, most of the panels in some way or form talked about equitable parks, um, equity in terms of location or access, inclusion, facilities, equipment, bathrooms, just general equity and upkeep um, based on you know, the neighborhoods that the parks are located in. Um, so that was a huge part, part of that, that conversation for the resident panels. Um, some of the feedback from the Hmong community specifically on this is that there are many parks that just don't work for Hmong community use based on the, the way that these parks are set up. Um, yeah, and yeah, the wider public rated this is a really is a goal that we're doing very good at achieving, but I think the, the resident panels rated it as a bit lower than the, the wider public. I think we have just a few more goals left. Um, so for the natural resources goal, um, there is less discussion about this, similar to the land use goal. They just didn't, they didn't have quite as much feedback on this goal. Um, but in general, they, were, they talked a bit about um, lake water quality and how air and, and water and ground pollution need to be improved. 
and several of them talked about the fact that you know environmental de degradation uh, affects most people of color, homeless, lower income groups, the disabled population, and transgender residents. So that was just something that sort of came out of out of that discussion in many of the panels. Let's see if I missed anything on that. Okay, so for agricultural resources, um, for this goal, the, the conversation was very similar to the wider public. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the panels talked about access to healthful foods rather than our food economy, um, and many of them brought up supporting local farmers and um, access to community gardens and things like that. Um, some was quite similar. For utilities and community facilities, Overall, um, there was a lot more focuses on services and equity in this goal rather than um, community uh, like facilities or or like green energy and green utilities. They, they the most of the resident panels focused on community services um, like access to healthcare services and community centers and just those sort of resource-based topics. Um, let's see. For, for regional cooperation, this is, this is the last topic area. Um, a lot of the resident panels um, talked about um, coming, all of the communities just coming to work together to create equity, and they talked less about um, collaborating with other units of government than like the wider public mentioned. They more talked, they spent more of the time talking about collaborating with other organizations and other residents for this process than say UW or you know the city of Fitchburg, other municipalities. Um, and this was another one of the goals that just didn't get quite as much feedback. Uh, was a little bit less important to, to the resident panels. We also asked the resident panels if they had any additional goals or things that we missed. Um, for, for this, um, education and public safety were both brought up by the wider public as as things that we missed um, and that we need to make sure get into the, the final the, the final comprehensive plan product. Um, a lot of the panels also brought up accountability and transparency for this process and for, for other processes, um, making sure that we really are using their feedback. Um, many of the panels also talked about affordable health care access and how that should really be worked into this plan in some way. And then some of, the, some of the resident panels also talked about some sort of goal involving city advocacy, um, just different changes that the city can make, like working towards being a sanctuary city or voter ID laws. Um, the transgender community specifically mentioned uh, birth certificate modernization to make it easier to like, change their name and gender on the birth certificate. So just those sort of... Um, miscellaneous things that we don't include in the comprehensive plan as it is now. Um, that's all that I have for the feedback from the resident panels. Um, are there any specific questions or? Why don't, why don't we wrap up everything okay. before we take questions? Okay, sure. All right, and I'm going to turn it over to Colin to talk about the next topic. Good evening. Uh, I'm Colin Punt, uh, also working on the comprehensive plan. Um, and I just have uh, a couple slides on two quick topics uh, here. Um, we have 
received uh, feedback on the 13 draft goals that, that we've been uh, shopping around the city um, from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, we've got a lot of feedback. We've used many channels. So as we're beginning to look at um, strategies to uh, achieve these goals, uh, there is a lot of overlap um, in the, the strategies that we as a community can pursue um, to achieve these goals. And so we're beginning to look at um, how we can organize the plan uh, in a way that uh, enables us to, to consolidate and, and reduce redundancy. Um, so we have, we have kind of grouped these, uh, these draft goals, um, made a few alterations, and, and put them in these, these six buckets, as we're, we're calling them. Um, the first one, uh, as you can see here, is where, and, and these titles are all just draft titles. We're not tied to any of these. Um, is connected places, so that includes the land use goals and the transportation goals and the, the nexus between land use and transportation. Um, as you can see, there's a small uh, gray icon for agricultural, agriculture and food. Um, the agriculture uh, goal um, uh, we found to, to touch a lot of different topic areas, um, and so at this at this point we're we're kind of breaking it apart and um, putting the the various specific portions of it uh, into some of these these different categories. Um, so um, some of that agricultural agriculture and food goal will will uh, reside here. Um, we have another area called uh, opportunity and prosperity, and that will mainly deal with uh, economic development. Again, um, agriculture and food comes into that uh, as part of the food economy. Uh, we have a housing and neighborhoods uh, theme that, that will include the housing goal. Uh, we have a green city uh, theme that will include parks, and parks open space, and recreation goal, um, the natural resources goal. Uh, and then, again, the last remaining bit of agriculture and food. Um, we have a, uh, a bucket called Vibrant and Creative, um, and that will include the goal uh, of cult for cultural and historical resources. And then finally, a collaboration and services uh, theme that includes utilities and community facilities, intergovernmental cooperation, and then the two... Um, I guess, additional items, quasi-goals that we have heard over and over again from our public feedback, uh, safety, crime, and policing, and education. Um, so this is how we are uh, proposing right now to, to go forward as we're starting to look at the specific strategies. So we're avoiding redundancy, and we're, we're able to, to cover all of our bases um, in a concise manner that, that uh, also acknowledges the fact that many of these uh, different items are very interconnected. Um, and finally, the, the other uh, main part of this second phase of, of our planning process, in addition to the strategies, um, is the future land use map. Um, we have begun um, just starting to look at, at the future land use map. Um, our early comment period for the existing future land use map uh, has been open for a little more than a month now. Um, we are getting a, f a few comments from the public about the existing land use map. Um, but we're looking, we're starting to, as staff, look at it now, um, considering some of the, the changes to the map that, that may be required. Um, we've been taking a, a 
really hard look at uh, recent development, um, recent city plans, um, and have, have identified a couple of the, these needs uh, as we're going forward with the future land use map. Um, possibly more differentiation um, amongst the, the less dense residential areas, um, a higher ceiling uh, for the, the more dense residential areas, um, and then a little bit more clarification as we discuss the, the mixed-use districts. Um, we have been doing some research. We've been looking at um, a lot of the existing uh, development, um, looking at density, looking at building heights, um, looking at the, uh, what's included in the existing zoning, um, and then also looking at those things um, from the perspective of the, the recent approvals um, for, for developments within the past 10 years so we, we can kind of uh, get a hold of what the, the trends are. Um, just as, a, as an example of one of the things we're looking at, these two buildings are both four-story buildings. Um, the, uh, the one at the top is uh, Wingra Point and the one at the bottom is uh, the Overlook at Hilldale. Um, neither of these are tremendously large buildings, uh, only, only four stories, and, and both of them are uh, well above the, the maximum density for the, uh, for the high-density residential district for the future land use map. So this is one of the things that we're, we're trying to deal with as to how we, um, how we address issues like this. Um, we are uh, in the process of putting together uh, a story map um, that shows different development types and densities um, so that as we start uh, discussing the future land use map with the public, we also have this tool that we can uh, kind of illustrate what these, these building types, what these land uses are actually like, what they look like on the ground, and how that translates um, to these numbers and to the text in the plan. Um, that's all we have for you tonight. Uh, if you have any questions uh, for me or Kirsty or Brian, I think we can open that up. Okay, any questions? Mr. Cantrell first. I, um, I understand the, the um, I guess, the, the em emphasis to add um, a goal of education, but um, that is a separate governmental authority. Yes, it is. And, and isn't it kind of difficult for, um, we can make some suggestions and recommendations in the plan on education and obviously placement of neighborhood schools and those sorts of things. And, uh, but, but the city doesn't control that. Mm -hmm. And I guess that, that I, that's a question I have for you. Um, uh, how val valid is it if we, if we don't have a lot of authority to, to make those changes? I think um, there are a lot of uh, uh, areas that we don't have authority that are also still included in the plan. Um, you know, we're, we're working with other, with a lot of the other utilities um, and uh, the, the UW system, um, the state, large, large public landowners. Um, so I think uh, from that perspective, um, the school districts uh, are, are kind of an intergovernmental uh, relationship partner. Um, uh, from an, another perspective, uh, education is very important for our economic development. Um, 
workforce development and, and preparing for the, the, the for jobs is, is very important. Um, I think that we can because um, education touches those areas and others. Um, the it's it was also just called out as being very important by people, and I think the the general will of the the public through the feedback that we've received is that um, although education can be part of all of these other topics, um, they'd like it kind of lifted out and, and focused on individually. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's obviously one of the most important uh, factors, I think, in economic development and just the educated populace. But I, I, I was just kind of curious how we're going to um, um, make definite changes that through uh, uh, something that we, we really don't have a lot of control over. Uh, one other, I guess, comment that I have is that, uh, which was one of the comments or at least uh, areas that uh, people have uh, commented on, uh, is better access to mental health services. Um, that, again, gets into an area that I, um, I'm not, I agree with it, but I'm not sure if it's a valid, something valid for the comprehensive plan. But maybe there's there's a tie-in that that uh, that you all can find that that leads to that or uh, uh, benefits that. I I might need to pass that question off to Brian or Kirsty. Yeah, great great questions. I think I think. Um, for education, I think we'll be highlighting, like our current comp plan does, where we can partner with other entities, whether it be school district or um, all the folks that are involved in educating students and have people uh, obtain jobs. So I think uh, it'll be mostly in the partnerships, mental health services, uh, probably more of a county function, other, other entities involved in that. So we're, again, looking at how we can partner with those entities to better uh, to improve their performance or improve their effectiveness, I guess. Okay, good. Yeah, in terms of whether we have a goal just for education, I'm not sure if we'll we've sorted that out yet, if we'll have a goal just on the education or if it would be more in terms of strategies, again, to improve the partnerships. Okay. Thank you. Alder Carter is next. Yes, and I think this is for Christy. Um, so with these resident panels, it looks like they've moved away from... Um, maybe the purpose of this um, project to more of um, everyday living concerns. And with that, I'm just wondering when I look at, and I just did fast notes, so don't hold me to this, but the... Um, insight on parks, their insight on safe places, how do we, um, when this project is done, how are we going to incorporate some of the things in here? And it piggybacks on um, Mr. Cantrell, but how do we incorporate some of these things when there really has to do with the greater population and their views. Mm -hmm. How do we combat, I think one of them was um, eviction 
and uh, transportation. I'm just wondering where we're going because I do know that certain areas get surveyed a lot, but they don't get the outcomes. Mm -hmm. So can you answer that for me? Um, so you do ask a very difficult question, um, and I think that we're going to, if I'm understanding your question correct, correctly, I think we're just going to have to make sure that we um, talk with the resident panels about, you know, how, how we are able or unable to incorporate some of those very specific concerns. Um, and in some cases, uh, you know, the complaint is out of the scope of, of some of those specific concerns. I think that we're, you know, we're planning to put together something that's just a, a document that can help to guide how this feedback is being used and just being open and honest with, with them on that. Um, does that answer your question? Or? It does. And, you know, I remember going to one of the recent ones, the present, presentations that you did at the Villager, and when you talked about water and the participants wasn't really concerned with water and I said so it's okay if you drink my laundry water and none of them were okay with that yeah. <laughs> so it geared them back to yeah we're concerned about water so I'm just wondering that in the course of these sometimes you have to give an example mm -hmm. for it to trigger like oh yeah I'm I'm concerned about the environment mm -hmm. You know, so I'm I, in going forward. I'm just want to make sure that we not necessarily give them the answers, but bring them back to what the purpose is. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank you. Uh, Alder Zellers. Um, I sorry. I think most of my questions were answered. It was the education questions. Okay, thank, so, thank you. Uh, Mr. Shepard. Uh, just a comment, I guess, in terms of police and um, police and education. One way maybe to approach this is to think of those as maybe sort of overlay districts in a way, because they will touch sort of a lot of different areas. In particular, I'm thinking in terms of transportation. Um, as already mentioned, in terms of uh, for education, you know, it's it will be once again employment at those areas, and also uh, for people to go there to get training so they can be employed. So I don't know. If, Again, however you finish the document, there needs to be a separate, you know, police, fire, and education section. I think it might be, uh, again, you'll work this out in terms of maybe it might be a better way to think of this in terms of sort of as it looks at the city in different areas overall. I think particularly in terms of transportation for education, um, uh, the, the university, the tech college, and that sort, you know, how do we get someone from one side of the town you know, to the other if they need to be at one particular place to get a certain type of training. I think that can be important. And the other thing, just in terms of police and fire, and we've talked about this before in here. Um, again, maybe some, you don't have to work out the details, but maybe some guidance so that if, if a citizen or if any interested party, they look at the comprehensive plan, they can say, okay, here's in Madison sort of, once again, sort of how we plan for the possible location of police and fire and that sort of thing. What are some of the acceptable distances and that sort? So I don't think we need to, you know, you need to nail every one of these down exactly, but I think they need to be acknowledged. I think police and fire need to be acknowledged and also education, if they can be linked to these other critical areas, in particular transportation. I think that would be good. Thank you. Walter Carter again. 
want to channel my grandmother for a minute. You did a wonderful job, and I appreciate all your good work as we give you more suggestions on what to do. <laughs> Anyone else? Well, that's a great ending. Thank you all. Okay, we're, we're about to move into uh, public hearings. I want to make a couple of comments first. Uh, all of you who are sitting here should be turning off your phones or at least putting them on silent. Uh, secondly, if any of you would like to see better, you're more than welcome to use the last couple of rows back here. Uh, and then uh, I, I just want to explain what our process is. Uh, the first thing we do is we take up what we call a consent agenda in which we take up every item that has been agreed to. No one insists on speaking and there's no dispute. That also includes some items that are going to be referred to future meetings. We dispose of all of them with one motion and the people who are here on those get to go home and enjoy their evenings or go out somewhere else and the rest of us remain here and deal with uh, the more contentious issues. So, <clears throat> uh, uh, what I'm going to do now is read all the consent agenda items and referral items. Item uh, two is to be referred to the April 3rd meeting, uh, Legistar 44569, demolition permit and conditional use at 119 to 125 North Butler Street. Um, and it's part of a project that will include two existing residences at 120 to 124 North Hancock Street. Uh, items 3 and 4 are consent, Legistar 45803, a conditional use to construct a residential building uh, complex containing 170 apartments at 5501 Springtide Way. And item four, Legistar 45804, a demolition permit conditional use to demolish an office building and construct an auto repair station at 2802 East Johnson Street. Item five will be referred to the April 3rd meeting, Legistar 46114. Uh, a conditional use to construct a 47-unit apartment building pool and clubhouse at 1704 Autumn Lake Parkway. Item 7, Legistar 46116, a conditional use for a tavern uh, at 1444 East Washington Avenue. Item 8, Legistar 46117, Conditional use for an outdoor eating area for a restaurant tavern at 222 West Washington Avenue. And items 9 and 10 are going to be referred to April 3rd. Uh, item 9 is Legistar 46118, uh, demolition permit and conditional use uh, to allow an existing restaurant to be demolished and a new restaurant uh, to be constructed at 6910 Odana Road. And item 10, Legistar 46113, a certified survey map 
at 205 to 213 North Gammon Road. Now I have some registrations that I need to read in uh, dealing with these. Is this all of them? Okay. Okay, so these are all on consent. Item 3, Randy Bruce, 7601 University Avenue, in support available to answer questions. Item 4, John Seaman, 901 Deming Way, uh, representing Jeff Bernstein Carex, in support. Also on item 4, Jeff Cotterin, 33 East Main Street, in support available to answer questions. I guess this is also item four, Jeff Bernstein, uh, 4860 Trenton Court, Wanakee, uh, in support available to answer questions. And then on to item seven, uh, John Chandler, 1912 Atwood Avenue, in support available to answer questions. On item seven, Edward Kaharski, 405 Sydney Street in support available to answer questions. On item 7, Tom Christie, 134 Division Street in support available to answer questions. And finally, on item 7, Jim Gorenson, 134 Division Street in support available to answer questions. And on item 8, Alder Mike Verveer, 614 West Doty Street in support available to answer questions. So, um, unless there are questions for anyone, um, a motion on the consent agenda would be in order. Mr. Cantrell, uh, seconded by Mr. Rui. Uh, all those in favor say aye. Opposed say no. Passes unanimously. Uh, all, all of you who are here on those items can go enjoy your evening. Uh, that brings us to the remaining item on the agenda. Uh, item 6, Legistar 46115, uh, major alteration to an approved conditional use uh, to allow construction of a four-story addition to the hotel at 1501 Monroe Street. Ms. Stoddard will do the staff presentation. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So before you, you have a conditional use request in the TSS Traditional Shopping Street District for a four-story addition to an existing hotel, which was approved in 2008. Um, as, as proposed, this would result in an eight-story, 105-room hotel with an outdoor lounge and event space on the, on the upper level. Staff has carefully considered the request in light of recommendations in the Monroe Street Commercial District Plan and the Regent Street South Campus Neighborhood Plan, which recommended mixed-use development in two- to four-story buildings. Um, the comprehensive plan for this, for this area recommends neighborhood mixed-use. For this proposal, staff would like for the Plan Commission to focus primarily on conditional use standards 9 and 12, as called out in the staff report when considering the request. We recommended that the request be placed on file with a finding that these two standards are not met. However, should the Plan Commission find that these standards are met or could be met, the Plan Commission may instead approve the request or refer it to the Urban Design Commission for a recommendation on the, on the design of the building. That's it? That's it. Okay, that concludes the staff report. Uh, 
five people. Okay. Um, the applicant has asked us to allow uh, multiple people to present. Um, they have five people they wish to speak. Um, so I will give them a total of 15 minutes, and then we will take five people speaking in opposition. Uh, and from that point on, we will move back and forth. So uh, the first person, I'm going to ask Ms. Starter to keep time for 15 minutes. And uh, hopefully the, these five people will get done in 15 minutes. If they don't, the last person will move to the end. So the first speaker... First speaker will be Michael Erickson, uh, 5101 Monroe Street, in support wishing to speak. Uh, I guess we're going to have a brief break while we solve a technical issue. All right, we're going to we're going to um, have to take a recess for five minutes or so. On uh, Mr. Rui, um, I was in remiss on the disclosures and recusals. Um, I went to the uh, holiday party at their place, and I'm not sure who sponsored it, but it was I was a guest of a member of the neighborhood when I went to it, and it won't will not affect any vote that I have. Thank you. All right, so we are going to be informal for. For a few minutes, don't wander too far away. Okay. Uh, we're back, at least all, enough of us are back so that we can start. So, and we, uh, we now we have four people speaking in, in favor in a row, not five. Uh, so, we'll begin. Uh, the first uh, one is Michael Erickson, 1501 Monroe Street. He'll be followed by Peter Tan, so you might as well stand close. Okay, Mr. Erickson, you keep track of your own time. Uh, thank you very much for the introduction. You did my job for me. I was going to introduce everybody, too. Uh, thanks, everybody, for hearing our case tonight, so I appreciate that. Um, again, my, my name is Mike Erickson. I am the president of Red Hospitality. We're the owners of Hotel Red. For those of you who don't know, we're located on the corner of Monroe and Regent Street, across the street from the Camp Randall Field House. Um, <clears throat> a brief history on the project. Uh, our company came into the project in 2011. Uh, at the time, the property was sort of an unfinished shell of a building uh, that I believe it sat for about a year and a half when we came into the project. Uh, we kind of believed in the project and decided to invest in that property. Um, and I, <clears throat> back then, actually, uh, you know, we wanted to really make it a community asset, basically. That was our focus, uh, something on the corner where people from both directions, everybody in the community could use that asset, and as well as a hotel, of course, uh, where, it, where people could come together and uh, enjoy their time there. When um, <clears throat> we started the project, um, we, you know, we, I faced a lot of opposition. Some say, if you don't remember, it was a controversial project, to say the least. And there were many people that were not in favor of this project whatsoever, and many naysayers that said it could never be done. 
uh, it's a waste of time. Um, we like to think that we sort of proved them wrong, and we have created an asset over the last five years, um, and uh, pretty proud of what we've done there. <clears throat> over the five years, we realized that uh, 48 rooms, which is the capacity of the hotel, was uh, a small amount of rooms or too small amount of rooms to really run an efficient business. And uh, we've taken a lot of time to come up with an idea here where we could increase capacity and create more efficiency in the hotel. And hopefully, you know, the business, new business model will work not only to benefit the, us as well, but also double the impact that we've had on the community as well. So, <clears throat> um, so we, we, we do realize that we are asking for more height than normally allowed in the area. But once again, I do appreciate your being here and listening to our case tonight. Um, I'm going to introduce Peter Tan now to talk a little bit more about the specific design of the building. Um, Peter? Okay, Mr. Tan, um, you know, keep track of your own time. Um, you've got a total of 12 minutes. Okay. For okay? The for the whole. For the whole, all four of you. Oh, all four of us. So, okay. Yep. Well, I'll uh, try and go pretty quickly through here. If you have questions later, we can kind of go back to the drawings. Um, so, essentially, we are we are um, requesting that, uh, for approval of additional four floors to the building. And as you look, see here, it's, uh, this is the existing uh, roof of the building right here. We're adding four floors. Um, we're going to add about 53, 57 rooms to the existing 48. Okay, bringing up the total of about 105 rooms. And I think the main question here tonight is seeking a conditional use for the, for the additional height. Um, so give you a sense, we do believe in a nutshell that this addition will really improve the design of the building and really improve the quality of the public realm right there, right in that space between the, the um, hotel and um, the field house. So this is the existing view on Monroe Street and this is the proposed. And as you can see, we do believe that the, in terms of scale and proportion, uh, the, the addition improves the portion of the existing building. You know, it, it, it gives, it gives the, the building a sense of a base, a shaft, and a capital. You know, a real classical kind of compositional for the, uh, for the, uh, for the building. And uh, we've worked really hard, too, to, to step the building back as you go up. And, uh, and as the building goes up, too, it gets more transparent. I think uh, in your packets you have, you have better... Um, um, uh, rendition of what, what this looks like. Uh, so, I mean, you know, the building gets kind of lighter as it goes up. So, um, just uh, this is uh, the facade on the uh, neighbor side, you know, facing the neighborhood. This is the, the, the south uh, elevation. And um, uh, it's, again, this is the existing right there, existing roof. And one of the things we, we um, about the existing facade facing the neighborhood. You know, there's a lot more life, a lot more interest on the north facade facing the street and we really felt that we wanted to bring some of that, that life and that, you know, that, that interest around also on the side that faces the neighborhood, really improving the building, making the building face uh, be a, a kind of a four-sided building. Um, and so we brought some of that, the signature um, uh, red glass, you know, for the... Uh, for the uh, guardrails, and um, also um, right here, this is, this is the existing, and bringing some of that brick around too, 
to, to, to deal with this uh, west facade. You know, as you look at the building coming up Monroe Street, that's really important. We wrapped uh, the balconies around here so that this facade begins to have life as well. Um, so, and it's picking up the existing materials, really composing that as a pleasing composition. Okay. Um, just a quick look at the site context. You can see uh, this is uh, Monroe Street. Um, sorry, Monroe Street, and this is uh, Regent Street and uh, the Beale House, and it begins to work as a space um, with the um, with the field house. And uh, very quickly, just going through the the site plan, uh, site existing site plan, and uh, proposed site plan. Uh, we are increasing the parking uh, by going with uh, valet parking, and uh, this is uh, and the entrance to the parking is now from the alley right here, um, and there's space for the shuttles for the um, um, for the hotel, a drop-off area right there for the uh, hotel. So we've clarified the um, the circulation. It's like we're really quite pleased with how how that's turned out, um, and just zooming in on the parking. We're solving the parking uh, with going to 24-7 Valley Parking. Mr. Tan, I just want to let you know that there's not a whole lot of time left, and if you okay. want the rest of your team okay. to get on, okay. uh, you're going to have to wrap up your section, sure. or they, they'll go at the end of Okay, Valley Parking, um, then this is just showing uh, access to the parking, and the, the calculations for the parking is here. Um, just, I'll skip right, right past the, uh, these are the additional floors, these are just uh, uh, in the top floor is a meeting space, an event space for the guests in the neighborhood, rooftop lounge, um, elevations, you've seen those. Um, I've talked about the design ideas with respect to the elevations. Um, shadow studies, the, the one summary of this shadow studies, I'll just quickly go through this. You know? uh, you'll see that it's, uh, it's most, the shading, because the neighborhood is to the south of the building, all the shadings to the north. So, you know, just to demonstrate, we've looked at it, and it just works really well from a shading standpoint. This is the usual uh, winter solstice, summer solstice, equinox. Um, so, that's it. Thank you. Uh, the next um, speaker is Alan Fish, 1533 Morrison Street. Thanks, Ken. Uh, nice to see everyone again. I spent about 22 years planning on the other side of the street, uh, working with the university and the athletic department, and uh, during that time, this intersection is really unusual. And so a case I want to make here tonight is that this has four narrow streets coming into a really huge intersection. And it also includes the southwest bike path. So this has got a lot of real estate around it. And I disagree respectfully with the city staff that this building doesn't fit that space. Monroe Street and Regent Street stretch out on our narrow streets and they have smaller heights, especially where they're against the neighborhoods. In this big space around, let's go one more. Sorry. I'll let you do it. What, in this unique space where we have all of this space, the field house across the street is about 110 feet tall. This building is gonna be about 100 feet tall. Down the road, as you see the region, that's also an eight-story building. So this building, being eight stories, can fit into this area because it is a unique cornerstone building. It is the pivot point around all these streets. 
and one that kind of creates a gateway. So if you're coming down Monroe, it's the field house and this hotel make a gateway. If you're looking up Regent Street and coming towards the west, the Regent Hotel, I mean Regent Apartments, which are eight stories in this building, create a gateway. And it really surrounds this intersection like an amphitheater. So that height question, I think, is different here. This is not your traditional shopping street. This is not your normal uh, areas where you're going to control height as you're in the middle of a block. This is a pivot point between Regent and Monroe, and it serves as an activation for both Regent and Monroe. Having 40 hotel, 48 hotel rooms compared to 100 hotel rooms is just going to put twice as many people out into the shops and businesses along Monroe Street, and it's going to activate that sidewalk. And from a pedestrian scale, this hotel now has a lot of transparency and outdoor seating, and you can see what's happening inside. That's not going to change. And the height facing that intersection is making all the shadows go across the intersection. Normally, you put a big building next to a residential area, and the shading goes in their backyards and their kitchen windows, and you have a problem with that perception. Here, this particular location is unique. It's one that can handle that extra height, and it's one that we would urge you to give us an exception so we can move forward with this great investment. Thank you. And now I'm going to uh, invite uh, Jason Nilstrup, who is the general manager of the hotel, to just wrap up on how the hotel functions in the community. How much time do they have left? We have about one minute, so... Walk, Thanks, walk fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, hi. I'm Jason Elster, the general manager of Hotel Red, and I've been there since we opened uh, six years ago. And when I took the job, I thought, you know, this is a very interesting spot to be, right? It's the crossroads of the city. It has Regent, Neighborhoods, Vilas, Dungeon Monroe, uh, South Campus. They're all right there, and it's the gateway to the western city. And I thought, what an amazing spot that this could be to be both a community asset, but also create economic vitality for the city. And it does that in many different ways. First, with the economic vitality. Right now, we do, do well. But if you add and double the size, we can double in both of those things. We can create more property tax, uh, more room tax, help to, uh, fund that $15 million in room tax that helps uh, market and, and uh, develop the city of Madison. But more importantly, we're able to hire more people. Currently, we have 55 to 60 employees, and we work with the uh, Madison schools and their vocational training and the correctional facilities and everything we can to try to bring every member of society you're, into our You're going to have to wrap up in, one, in one minute. Absolutely. So um, what we do is that we also create vitality for the neighborhood, just as Alan said. We bring people to the shops, and we bring people into the neighborhood. But what I enjoy most about Hotel Red is that we really, truly have tried to become a community asset. And we've tried to be the sort of mothership for the neighborhood. And we open our doors up for community meetings. And the, the Return Peace Corps volunteers come in, the Violist Neighborhood Association, you name it. We want to be the great public space for these neighborhoods. And with more rooms and more size, we're able to do even more of that and be even better community asset for the city of Madison and for these great neighborhoods that we are so fortunate to be uh, housed in. Thank you. Are there questions for the group of applicants? Uh, Alder Carter, and for whom? Yes, I want to talk to the leader of the mothership, Jason. <laughs> Here I am. Um, Jason, I know that in when the hotel first opened, it was classified as a boutique hotel. Yes. 
So with this extra um, room increase to 105, is it still considered a boutique hotel? And also, are you, um, I know you're looking at more rooms, but are you looking at more activities that the neighborhood can use? Absolutely, yes. So the, to answer the first question, we still will be a boutique hotel. 100 rooms is definitely within that boutique definition. And more importantly, we're also independently owned, which is a pretty key criteria. Uh, we don't have a flag, which is a company, Marriott or Hilton, uh, working with us directly. So we're independent. We're managed independently by a company in Madison and owned by the Erickson family. So we'll remain independent. We'll remain a boutique hotel. That's really part of our mission. And it really fits in with us, right? Because we want to be the Madison Hotel. Um, and so we want to continue to do that. Now, adding amenities. Yes, certainly we add 50 more guest rooms. We also add on the eighth floor um, a food and beverage lounge, a beautiful 20-foot all-glass area that can be used by anybody, and in particular the neighborhood, with you know unparalleled views and an indoor-outdoor space that really opens up Vistas that you, you can't believe. You know, we've been able to, to sort of see what's up there, and the view we have from up there is spectacular. And that'll be open and allows us to program even more with the neighborhood and program even more with all of our partners, uh, be it with Maury's Chocolates that we hand out to every guest that checks in or with Winger Boats, who, you know, every guest gets access to those. So we can do more sorts of those programs because we have more economic power, more rooms, and more space. One other question is yeah. parking. Yes. Because your parking lot is pretty tight. Yeah. So where's everyone going? Where right. are you beaming them to? <laughs> well, luckily we'll bring in a valet partner that will help beam uh, all of our cars. So currently we have 56 spots, but rarely do we fill all of those 56 spots. Eight are actually hidden in a valet, sort of back, to, back and forth. So even on the busiest days, we aren't using those spots. Guests now, ever since I started in the business about 10 years ago, guests are using cars less and less to arrive to hotels. They may uh, arrive in our shuttles. We have two shuttles to come from the airport. They may arrive with friends. They you know, may take Uber. They may take a taxi, whatever it is. We see less and less cars. So even when we're sold out, we still have room available. So by adding enough spots, by reconfiguring the parking lot, the same existing parking lot, we get more spots out of that. We get 78. Plus, uh, we're working with two of our neighbors to try to use their spots uh, at times when we have overflow or larger events. Um, you know, so say something is happening in those two meeting spaces down on the first floor, and there's more in and out between, say, five and seven, whenever that meeting is. But valet is key to that, and it would be 24-hour-a-day valet. What I like about that is it also gets more cars in, but also animates that alley as well, because you have a person, an employee, working in that entrance all the time. So it animates the space, right? It creates a, a feeling of arrival for our guests, but also safety and security in that alley, too, so, which we play a key part of being open 24 hours a day. Alder Zellers, and for whom? Um, whoever can answer it. It has to do with the valet, and it has to do with deliveries. Sure. Yep. Um, so where, where, people who drive there, where is the drop-off? Yes. So um, I'm just going to step away from the mic, and I'll... Is that a set? I'll point out where it is. Is that okay? Uh, I'm afraid you can't. I'm gonna, I'll, here, you point. Just point right below where the, where the circle is. You can see sort of a half moon just below right where he's pointing right there. That's where the drop-off will be, right? So you, you come in off of Regent Street, and that's where the drop-off would be. That would not change in any of our plans. Okay, uh, so people would drive there. Hmm? And that's the entrance then to hotel, Correct. right? Correct. Yeah. So actually, that doesn't change at all what we have currently. Okay. Same sort of, sort of entranceway and same drop-off area. And 
deliveries. What yeah. kind of things are delivered? Do you have sure. got restaurants and yeah, you know. yeah. So food and beverage are two of the biggest deliveries we have. Uh, linen, we we um, send our linen our our uh, sheets out to a company, uh, so they come in with a large truck, uh, and they would come off just off the alley, basically exactly where, where you just pointed that red. And they're able to point next to the, you can just see those little trees. They come off of that spot right there, park their truck there, and stay out of the alley, and then deliver in and go, go in and out. And we restrict the times for delivery. Uh, operationally, that works for us, particularly when you're dealing with sensitive items like alcohol. So we limit the amount of time that they can come in and out. Because we also want to be courteous to, to you know, our neighbors, and we want to make sure that the trucks aren't going in and out at inappropriate times. And not blocking the alley. That's not what we want, not what anybody wants. And when we find that out, if that does happen with us, uh, we work with that vendor to make sure that doesn't happen again. So, so the deliveries um, can be made there um, without blocking the alley. Is Correct. that what I'm hearing? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Yep, very current to what we do now. And yep. the size of the vehicles works for yep. that location. Yeah. And that's where all your deliveries currently happen. Through the yep. alley. The okay. nice thing is if you kind of go to the, just the south part of the hotel, there's a, there's a back door entrance in there that goes right up to the food and beverage and right into the kitchen. And then our main uh, refrigeration for the hotel is located on the parking level, so we just slide it right in. So it's actually pretty, pretty seamless. Plus there's an elevator um, located right at the front of the building if they need to use an elevator with the hand carts. Okay, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Ms. Berger? Hi, um, just to follow up on the valet, yeah. is, is the valet going to be something that you charge for, or is it included as part of the stay or part of having an event there? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. So it would be uh, charged for the guests that are staying there. Uh, we haven't figured out that rate yet, but any event that would be happening there would not be charged for. So if you were coming to the restaurant or for an event or for a public meeting, it would be, be on us for a certain amount of time. Obviously, if you were there for you know, five hours plus, we haven't figured out those rates yet, but that would be how we would take care of that. And for current guests, without the valet, do you charge for parking? Just, nope. Okay. Nope. I'm just thinking if it's going to create some sort of incentive for people to park on the streets because they don't want to pay. Yeah. So I would say, I can't say for sure, but it would be enough to sort of cover the cost, but we, I don't think it's a huge revenue stream for us. Um, and we would have a couple of options to be able to put a few cars in there, but we, we don't want to send cars you know, into the neighborhood. We don't want them parking in front of Richard's house. We don't want any of those sort of things happening. So we'll do whatever we can to try to prevent that as well. Thank you. Anyone else? Then thank you. Why don't you leave this, Absolutely. Leave yeah. this up? Okay, so now we will take four opponents in a row. The first is Fraser Gerd, 1526 Jefferson Street, opposed wishing to speak, to be followed by Mary Diamond. Mr. Gerd? Come on up. Thank you very much. Minutes. If you need an additional one, okay. we'll talk about it. I will try to talk fast. That's not my nature. Um, my name is Fraser Gerd. I live at 1526 Jefferson Street. Out my kitchen uh, window, I have a wonderful view of the field house. Of, uh, University puts a new light bulb in the light that lights up the W. It's been out for months. Um, <laughs> The, um, and as I look at the, and I've been there for almost 38 years, uh, 19 of which I was uh, a chair of Vilas Neighborhood Association Zoning uh, Committee, uh, but that already is a long time ago. Um, when I look now, it looks like the in-place appropriate uh, region street commercial plan is working. I, I can see the top floor of the hotel above the houses uh, that are on 
Madison Street. Uh, I see the, um, the field house much bigger. Now that they're, if they're going to be virtually the same size, then to me, the hotel will be a lot, a lot closer, will appear uh, bigger and substantially wider, won't have the benefit of the peaked uh, roof. Uh, if I guesstimate where the uh, expanded hotel would be, I'd be adding two or three stories onto the region apartment building, which I can also see if I look that way. Um, and that's a different animal. And eight stories over there are sort of nine foot plus a 10 inch slab. They're very different heights than at the hotel. Hotel has much bigger um, uh, story size. Um, so I really think that it's the Monroe Street Commercial District plan that a applies. There are other hopes and aspirations that pe different people had. You heard from Al Fish about one of the grand plan things. The shadows for the building are not the relevant thing. Fortunately, they're out uh, in the roads. The shadows, the kind of shadow that matters is this looming hotel that for most people right now isn't up above but will become above, and you'll be able to see it several blocks into the uh, neighborhood. And it wasn't in your backyard or your front, your, off your front stoop um, this year, but if you have the uh, additional height, it will be there for, for several blocks. I like hotels, and I like this hotel, and it's been doing a great job. Um, uh, and... Um, Maybe with the exception of the, um, the, uh, the courtesy shuttles going up the 1600 block alley, which I thought that they weren't supposed to do under the original can, agreements. Can, can you wrap up, sir? I will. Um, one more thing. I probably have more important things to say, but with regard to the aesthetics, the additional red and everything else on the alley side, um, if, if you're up several more stories, I think it's a real in-your-face to the neighborhood. While you may feel it helps your brand, I feel that it, it's in-your-face. And it also detracts from what you have now. You have the only red on the alley side being right, that awning-like structure over the entrance. So people can see where the entrance is. You start doing the elevator and those other things and people are going to lose track of, of what that is, and I think that's a bad uh, design or idea. Thank you. Questions for Mr. Gerd? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, Mary Diamond is next, 1518 Jefferson, opposed, wishing to speak, to be followed by Peter Schofer. <coughs> Ms. Diamond, you're welcome. You've got three minutes. Okay. I live at 1518 Jefferson Street. Uh, when I look out my kitchen window, I'm seeing that Fraser brought that up. I see the limestone facade of, of Camp Randall with the historic, I call it the turtle, Wisconsin logo. Um, I see a tiny bit of the corner of Hotel Red right where the sun would be setting in the summertime. I'm looking and engaging what I would see if that were up four stories. It would be looming, and I don't know how they figured out where shadows would go, but it would certainly block our view of the setting sun in the summertime when the sun is lower, and we are obviously 
south east of the hotel. The hotel is my neighbor because we're only half a block away. Um, we've only gone there a few times for the Violet Neighborhood Association meetings, but um, the idea that that large additional building, it would literally be visible from my yard all the time, and right now I only see it just a little bit over the treetops. I don't think it's appropriate to the neighborhood. We are a, a neighborhood with old homes and mature trees and families. Um, my husband bought the house we live in in 1991, so he's lived there 26 years, and I've lived there 10 years because we've been married 10 years. He also owns the house next door, which he always rents to families. Right now there's a, a young family with a toddler and a new baby living there. Um, to me, a hotel, I mean, it literally would loom in our yard. We're also concerned about the sense of privacy when you've got something like that looming over your backyard. Are they looking at us with binoculars out the window? I don't know. It's, the whole thing seems creepy. And um, comparing it aesthetically to the region apartment buildings, why would that be a positive comparison visually? That is not a particularly attractive building. It's 1960s aesthetic. Um, we, we, my husband and I both believe that this goes against what we originally was approved and if it's accepted would change the precedent of what Monroe Street would look like. Um, that is a terrible corner both in terms of traffic and uh, walking. I try to go to the shell and you take your life in your hands when you try to walk across Regent Street. So I can't see that that hotel would be drawing people down into the shopping. I would never do that personally, and I live there. Um, I'm just opposing it. I think it's not a really good idea. I don't think it's an addition to the neighborhood by any means. It may be an addition to the business, but it's not an addition to the people who own property there, live there. Residential, it's a residential neighborhood. Um, and so the whole thing is very disturbing to me in terms of where are we going with our neighborhoods that butt up so tightly against business. Can you wrap up? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, and it just seems very disturbing to me that this modern sculpture structure does not fit it, to me in any way at all. And uh, we, we have a commitment to that neighborhood, too. We all do. Thank you. Questions for Ms. Diamond? Ms. Diamond? Mr. Rui? Uh, thank you. Uh, you mentioned in your testimony that you live a half a block away. Could you point out to me on that map where you live? Uh, uh, Jefferson Street's about where the red ends on the right, uh, that red bar at the uh, bottom. So the larger building is the Chinese church just below us to the south. You can't. Look at the red bar at the bottom. Oh, here. Okay. Jefferson Street aims right at the red bar. This is Jefferson Street? Yes. Um, is this, um, can you show me where it's a new bar? It's that's Regent. That's uh, backyard, sir. That's Regent Street. This is Regent? Yeah. Okay, so. You're down. Is that me? Is that us? Yeah. Okay, right here. All right. Yeah, it bothered me when you said you lived half a block away when it looks more like a block and a half away. Well, if you go up Go back. Me. You can't speak. Oh, I'm sorry. You have to go back to the microphone. The point well, I suppose I, point it depends on how you're measuring the length of a city block. 
Well, you've got uh, Madison Street between you uh, and the building uh, also. If you go up, I think, if you, I think the point's made. No, but the point is okay. you live a block and a half away, not a half a block. Well, it depends on which end of this block you're measuring. Sorry, that the, seems like a block to me, half a huh? block. Any, any other questions for Ms. Diamond? Thank you, ma'am. Um, Peter Schofer, 273 Grant Street, uh, to be followed by Hans Borchardring. I'm Peter Schofer. I've lived at 813 Grant Street since 1992, and we do have more density, more congestion. And were any of you here seven years ago? No. Well, eight years ago, seven years ago, six years ago, we voted on the same sort of thing twice. And it was clear that it had to stay at four. And our understanding was that it would stay at four. And I saw no reason now why it should go to eight. Nothing has changed. The other thing that concerns me is the fact that rules are rules. Uh, what, what is this, an ordinance that covers this or what? We'll the building height. Is that an ordinance? We'll explain, we'll explain uh, when we get to the state. Okay. But at any rate, uh, if you say fine, we have what I call a freebie economy. There's nothing being given back in a significant amount, such as Trader Joe's, if you say we can go to eight. And you can be guaranteed you're going to have all kinds of people all over town wanting to go up to eight and having this. Now, I sympathize with what they are saying about this. They have been good neighbors, but the building still remains benign to the neighborhood. We go to meetings there four times a year, but that's it. And so it's there, and it should stay there as it is. And if you vote to have this go up to eight, you're going to have the problems. So thank you. Questions for Mr. Schofer? Thank you, sir. Okay. And uh, the last registrant wishing to speak is uh, <clears throat> is Hans Borcherding, 1524 Jefferson Street. Oh, I'm sorry, not the last one wishing to speak. Hello, I'm Hans Borcherding. Um, I do admit the hotel is an asset to the neighborhood in the Monroe Street Shopping District. I will reiterate, as a neighbor who was here before, the understanding was the rules at the time were three stories. This building was given an extra story, a bonus, as the capstone to the Monroe Street District. It's called four stories. If you live in the neighborhood, I'm sorry, it's five stories on the backside. It's large. We see it from the back of our house. Um, In terms of parking and talking with some of the other neighbors, the LA parking is occurring on the streets. This building is inconsistent with the characteristic of the Vilas neighborhood, the Monroe Street Shopping District. If it's approved as they're asking, we're looking at a nine-story building out our backyard. We're limited to two-story houses. This is totally incongruous with what's going on in the neighborhood. It sets the wrong precedence for Monroe Street. It's already happening. 1603, they were approved for five stories. They backed it down to four. 
for financial reasons. I see this continuing. I really do not look forward to seeing Monroe Street look like Johnson Street, like State Street. You have a canyon of a street. You've got nine-story-plus buildings. I'd like you to think about how that is going to change the Monroe Street District, the shopping experience. We currently have older brick two-, three-story buildings. This is nothing like the Monroe Street Shopping District. It backs right on residential houses. There is no buffer. Um, the problems I see with approving the excessive height that they're asking for is it's not compatible with the existing buildings in the Vilas neighborhood or the Monroe Street. The excess height they're asking for, and if you approve, does not improve the quality of the building. The scale, the massing, the designs, it doesn't complement anything in the neighborhood. People talk about the field house, the stadium. That's in the university. It's across the street in another district. They're all buildings that are set back from the road. This building is built lot line to lot line on three sides. There are no setbacks. There is nothing that ties it in with the existing character. Can you wrap up, sir? Um, yeah, I'd love to. Um, this project, if approved, is a continuing chipping away at the livability of our neighborhood. I'm going to ask that you do not approve the excessive height limitations on this property. Thank you. Questions for Mr. Borcherding? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Tim Levy, I'm not sure, 2208 Regent Street in support, wishing to speak? Did I get your name right, sir? No, I wrote it. Probably not very legibly. Tim Lacey, Tim 2208 Lacey. Regent Street. Okay, I'll fix it for you. Uh, my name is Tim Lacey. I live at 2208 Regent Street. Um, we own the building there, which is a historic mixed-use building, so our business is on the first floor, and then we have a residential uh, space upstairs. Um, I'm speaking in favor of uh, Hotel Red. I think they've been excellent stewards in the community, both in terms of uh, community events, job creation, um, providing space to the community, um, and just being generally pretty good neighbors. Um, they helped us uh, in collaboration with a uh, fundraising event for the Madison Park Foundation, uh, which was quite successful. Um, I haven't been around since the 90s. Uh, I was six or seven at the time, so I know you guys have been in the neighborhood a lot longer, but we see this as a uh, positive development, even with the additional hype for the community. Um, Camp Randall, the stadium being significantly taller than anything that's being proposed. Uh, down at the end of Monroe Street, um, the quick trip building that I believe is six or seven stories that sits right on the lot line uh, is also congruent and on Monroe Street. Um, I believe this is far enough down and away from the central shopping districts on Monroe Street that it doesn't significantly affect the character of the neighborhood or the street. Um, and I do understand and appreciate the concerns of the residents uh, that uh, are concerned about the heights. It's, uh, it's always a tough, tough balance between 
uh, progress in, in maintaining community field, but I do feel this is in the best interest of the neighborhood moving forward. Questions for Mr. Lacey? Thank you, sir. Uh, Bill White, uh, 2708 Lakeland Avenue, uh, representing Red Hospitality. Thanks. I, uh, hi, everybody. Yeah, it's good to see you again. Um, I, I just want to emphasize a couple of things, and I've been involved with this uh, when Mr. Erickson and his uh, family uh, bought the property and, and turned it into what it is today. Uh, the, what I hear as I'm listening is uh, they are good neighbors, okay? And it's, it's always tough, I know, that when you change anything, that there's always a script that goes along with the immediate neighbors that they don't like the change. Um, some people would rather look at uh, the existing uh, Regent Street apartments. Um, I think you've got a successful operation here. It's not expanding the footprint. It's actually increasing the ability to um, integrate with the neighborhood. A lot of the changes that uh, Mr. Tan had uh, talked about in terms of the architecture are a result of neighborhood participation as well as staff participation. Um, the one thing that I was instructed on at the very beginning when I started working with the Erickson family is keep your ears open, listen, let's do as many things as we can possibly do. And I think this is a, a further extension um, of that particular philosophy which is to take something that's good and make it even better. Uh, and for those reasons, we would ask that this uh, be approved by the Planning Commission. Questions for Mr. White? Thank you. Thank you. Um, we have a number of other registrants not wishing to speak. Elizabeth Rapaski, 2208 Regent Street, in support available to answer questions. Barb Sanford, 1211 Garfield Street, Opposed, not wishing to speak. Neil Lord, 1518 Jefferson Street. Opposed, available to answer questions. Uh, Jera Bodley, 809 Grant Street. Opposed, not wishing to speak. Richard Scott, 811 Oakland Avenue. Opposed, not wishing to speak. Eileen Thompson. Opposed, not wishing to speak. She attached a letter, which I could share. Uh, and that concludes the uh, registrants. Uh, <clears throat> Alder Eskridge, do you have anything you wish to add at this point? No. Okay. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Alder King, you have a question for? Can someone from the team um, come back up and go to the side of the south elevation, the neighborhood facing elevation, real quick? That's not really in our packets and that mm -hmm. was on that. Okay. They're coming. I can see them. The south elevation. Yeah, that, that neighborhood facing yep. side. Okay. Isn't that the south? I think it's south. Yes, it is. Would you, we like the three-dimensional one. You want the 3D yeah. or this one? Yeah. yeah. Oh, keep going. <laughs> that was, that's it. 
validate you. Okay. All right. That's it. Thank you. <coughs> just trying to confirm something that was in there in the staff report. Oh, you have no questions. You just no. wanted to see it. Okay. Thank you. You might as well leave it up in case anybody else does. Um, Alda Carter? Yes, there was a question, Jason. <laughs> there was a statement made about the shuttle using the alley. Can you expound on that? Yeah, I think don't. you said in my notes that you didn't use the alley. Yes, we try not to use the alley. Has that happened in the past? Absolutely. But we will certainly, getting this information from the neighborhood, we will double back with our shuttle drivers to make sure they absolutely do not use that alley. They're not supposed to. Um, have they used it in the past? Probably. But we'll certainly work with them to not do that. We have no reason to really use that alley. We should be using main thoroughfare streets. Okay. And also, was there a shadow study done? Yes. Yep. I hustled them through it. That was yep. Mr. Oh, is Chan, that what happened? Mr. Chan was yep. doing so here, that, and all the shadows head out towards uh, yeah. the street. So here's the beginning. Shadow study, summer solstice at 5.30 a.m. going off into uh, Monroe Street. And then you have uh, middle of the day, really no shadow. Uh, and the evening, this is the shadow that does uh, um, hit the church and then the two houses next to it. And then you have spring equinox, again, out into uh, basically the Crazy Lakes Triangle. And then in noon, just off into Regent Street. And in the evening, it goes off basically towards the Regent Street Apartments. Um, and then we have winter solstice, goes basically over the stadium. Uh, at noon, again, towards the stadium, the entrance of the field house. And then that goes straight down towards the fire station, which is that first building there uh, where the shadow hits the top. Uh, summer solstice, straight on at noon. I think we already went over, the, we went over that one. Thank so you. We, we modeled the, the shadow so that it's one hour after sunrise and one hour before sunset, to be fair, and that kind of thing. And then noon, that's kind of how we did it. Okay, thank you. Uh, Ms. Berger. Uh, so I was curious, too, a little bit about the shadow study and whether, um, in particular, for that summer one where it does go into the neighborhood, you don't have a, a shadow study of that angle with the current height, do you? Or, or you could just answer the question. At the current height, does oh, it okay. shade any of that? Well, I think. Well, this is the eight-story height, correct? Yes. What's, I, I mean, the four, the current four-story height. It's a little hard to tell if, it, you know, like, are they in shadow now and they'll be in shadow then, or are they not in shadow now? Basically, um, the building is about double the height. Yeah. So, so you it's can hard pretty down. much half mm -hmm. the shadow, although, uh, as uh, Mr. Boshiding said, uh, the uh, on this side, it's a... Uh, it's an it's a it's like a five-story building facing the mm -hmm. uh, on, on that side right mm -hmm. so it's not quite half mm -hmm. right it will be about uh, five ninths mm -hmm. of that <laughs> shadow yeah. just a little more than half right so, so basically no, no speaking sir there. Mr. Chan you have to speak into oh, the microphone it'd be just a little yeah. bit more than, okay. than half of what you see there yeah yeah and mm -hmm. yeah I'm just Wondering if it's going from no shadow to shadow or existing shadow to. And remember, shadow. this is just yeah. a very short instant. Uh, right. You know, just right at the end of the day, as the sun. You know, uh, at the, the summer solstice, that's when the sun is the only time, like right around June yeah. 21st, the sun is actually north mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, mm -hmm. north of east and west, yeah. right around midsummer. 
I would say anecdotally, just from working there for so many years, yeah. it does just sort of just touch the edge of the church. So it hits that last parking lot in the longest days of the year. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. That seems to have lit up some more interest. Mr. Oath. Uh, I think for Jason, I just, the employment that's there, I think I heard that you currently have about 55. Mm-hmm. So with the addition of about how many more was it double? Not quite, because uh, there's a bit of more efficiency. In so roughly use. 100. Probably, roughly 100. Yeah, roughly 100, probably around 90 to 100. So I guess my question is, where do these employees park, or how do they get to the hotel? Do they Are they allowed to use your facility, or do they have to park the neighborhood, or do they come by bus and bicycle and that? I would say all of the above. Uh, we have, I would say, a handful, about a dozen employees that drive, and they do park on site, and we would allow them to continue to park on site most likely because their parking needs, particularly during like housekeeping as a peak tier period, that's actually when not a lot of guests are there, right? We're cleaning the rooms when they're not there. So we'll continue to have that usage. We employ a, a tremendous amount of students that walk, bike, take the bus. They live close. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really like having students as our employees. Uh, so that's a big part of it. You know, I ride my bike to work uh, most days. Um, not during the winter, this is the cold days, but, but I try to ride my bike, and a lot of us try to do that as well, to limit that parking. Uh, but I would say about a dozen employees now. So you could say 20-ish employees will probably park there, and we would allow parking to continue in the lot, and we don't have any want to park in the neighborhood. And in fact, it doesn't work very well because everything surrounding us is either metered or two-hour parking. So, Alder King. So, Jason, um, <laughs> first of all, uh, the valet parking. So you said, like, for events and stuff that it would be no no charge, correct? Correct. So, first of all, we are in the Midwest, and there really is no such thing as no charge valet parking because we all feel compelled to tip. True. So, um, but do you... True. Do you, <laughs> I can't just, that. Just saying. I yeah. mean, I don't, <laughs> my family's in South Philly, and they still tipped. But anyway, um, I think um, the other thing I was going to ask you, though, do, do people that are invited to the events, do you communicate to them or, or are you going to communicate to them that they have that service? Because to me, it's not self-evident when you go there for a meeting that that's available. Um, I, think, I think a lot of people would assume they have to park on the street given the way it's signed. So. Sure, absolutely, yeah. And I think uh, we do get that to the meeting planners so that we discuss that, you know, valet is an option. Um, the difficult part is then if how much that meeting planner then gets that information to all the attendees. Um, it would be nice maybe to have a little bit more signage that says that on Regent Street. We would certainly work with the city to do that and do that in an appropriate way. I think that would certainly help. Um, that also helps the issue of sort of we do get some people that come up the hill on Regent Street and they turn and you can see them sort of heading into this dangerous intersection, sort of looking back and, oh, shoot, I missed the hotel. Um, so any more signage we'll be able to put there would assist in that, um, that issue. That's right. Yeah, we are working with the city and Matt Tucker on, on zoning Oops, for a sign that would uh, assist with that and sort of direct people in that direction. But we want to make it right for the neighborhood, too, right, so that it fits our, our branding but also is not obtrusive. Thank you. I think that concludes uh, questions for applicants. Are there any questions for people uh, who were in opposition? Then I will close the hearing. Are there questions for staff? Mr. Rui. Thank you. If I recall in reading the literature, did anybody uh, that lives on Madison Street make any statement? 
pro or con on this project? That's the street immediately, uh, immediately to the southwest, southeast. I'm not. I didn't ask you. Then I'll do a follow-up. Anybody on Oakland Street make a? Yeah, we had one. We had a. Uh, we we had a uh, registrant on Oakland Street in opposition, not wishing to speak. But none, and that that includes the written stuff we got. I'm looking well, at the written looking. comments now, and I I see one from Westlawn um, in support. Um, I see one from Grant in support. I was curious about the ones, the, the Oakland and Madison, which are closer in proximity to the hotel. So we found one That's, from Oakland. Oh, Madison, here's one. Okay. Um, yeah, thank you. I missed that one. Oh. Do you want me to come back to you, Mr. Roo? No, good. Thank you. Mr. Cantrell, questions for staff? Yeah, I... Um, does staff remember the height of the Monroe Commons building that's being constructed just up the street? I know it's a, we approved a five-story, then they changed it to a four-story. But I was curious about the, the overall height of that building. Not Monroe Commons, but the, the recently uh, approved Yeah, the recently approved building. building just I, up the street. I do not recall the height on that. I'm going to make a, a, an educated guess here that it's probably – let me say 12 to 15 on the first floor with with tens above. So let's let's say generously 45. And that's that's a guess. So please don't quote okay. me on that. But a typical commercial height with residential above. Any other questions for staff? Then uh, motion would be in order. Mr. Cantrell. I'm going to um, recommend that the Plank Commission uh, place this item on file without prejudice. Is there uh, a second? Seconded by Alder Zellers. Go ahead, Mr. Cantrell. Um, I agree with um, the applicant that, that in increasing the height might make the building more aesthetic and, and the design more pleasing. But um, I agree with the neighborhood that uh, an eight-story height uh, increase is just too massive at this intersection. Um, and I believe that the, the uh, development is not consistent with uh, standard number 9 and 12, which uh, looks at the compatibility of, of this uh, development with uh, surrounding uh, existing development, proposed development, and uh, the, the plans that we have uh, adopted in this neighborhood. But again, um, I think the, it, the, some additional height does make the building more attractive, uh, but I can't support uh, this development. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Cantrell. Uh, Alder Zellers. 
Um, my reasons are basically the same as what uh, uh, Commissioner Cantrell articulated with particular emphasis on it um, not being consistent with adopted plans um, where it says in the staff report the proposed height of the expanded hotel essentially exceeds the adopted height and design recommendations in both plans by a factor of two. That's, that's, just, that's just too much. Um, so that is the main reason why I cannot support this. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Rui next. Uh, thank you. I'm going to uh, support the, uh, the motion. However, I, I also agree that uh, with Mr. Cantrell that to make that building look right and aesthetically pleasing, it has to be taller than it is now. Uh, and I've been troubled by that. I'm not sure what that height is, but I do feel that uh, on the rendition I saw at eight stories that the way they designed it and with the top floor that I think it deserves at least a couple uh, stories for, for a bonus for what they've done. Uh, I'd like to see something come back at some point, not that tall, but something taller than it is because uh, every time I look at that building, it, it always hits me that it's not tall enough the way it looks right now. I want to so, point out, especially for the newer members of the commission, that placing on file without prejudice means the applicant can come back at any time. If it's uh, just placed on file, it means the applicant can't come back for a year. So I just want to make sure everybody in the commission and, understands and that's, that that's what we're voting on. And that's the reason I'm making my comments, uh, to uh, give my viewpoint on what they proposed and, and also supporting placing it on file without prejudice. Thank you, Mr. Rui. Alder Carter next. Yes, and I am going to echo Commissioner Rui and Contral. I think that um, this building does need some extra height. Um, I don't have a number in mind, but with that, I am going to support the motion that's on the floor right now, and I hope that they do come back with another um, drawing. Thank you. Thank you, Alder Carter. Ms. Berger next. Um, I just wanted to say where I'm coming from, too, and it's along the same lines as Commissioner Rui and, um, and Commissioner Carter. Um, when I read standard number 12, it, and some of the things that it talks about um, impact on surrounding properties, including height, mass, orientation, shadows and view, architectural quality and amenities, relationship of the buildings with streets, alleys, public right-of-ways. And I think that this building, you know, in theory, I, I, I think that there aren't too many problems there. I think the problem really is, uh, because it is this unique site, it really, the shadows aren't causing major problems. It is set back from the residential. It is on this busy corner. I mean, I, I think that there's something to that. But the, um, you know, the part about adopted plans and the part about it being so much more um, is in, in condition number eight, which is really holding me from, from wanting to support this project. So, thanks. Thank you, Ms. Berger. Uh, Alder King. I agree, and I, I mean, I definitely think at what we saw is more aesthetically pleasing than what's there. And I agree with the prior speaker towards the beginning that said this is sort of a unique place in the neighborhood where where it's um, uh, where it's located in terms of what that height would look like in terms of uh, either coming up or down Monroe Street or Regent Street. Um, 
so I think it is a sort of a triangle corner like you see in major cities that where there's a, a, a place for some unique architecture. However, um, it's it's just too far off what the current plan is to be able to support it from a standards perspective, which is what we're sort of held to. And I agree that I think that um, based on what we looked at, there's definitely some room here in terms of granting some bonus um, based on uh, some how aesthetically pleasing what they brought to us was, especially on the top. Um, and I, I definitely have to agree with another speaker that I don't want to in any way compare this to the Regent Street apartments down the block, um, which I hope are imminently being going, going to be redeveloped. And I'll grant them bonus stories just for tearing down what's there. Thank you, Walter King. Mr. Shepard. Um, if, if this were to... Um, Again, we'll take a vote, and that's it. But I think if this were to come back uh, before us again, I think we should follow up with the um, uh, in the staff report uh, that there should be an advisory recommendation from UDC um, that they should also take a look at it. There are some design um, issues and things I think that you know this uh, site, the development could be could be improved upon. That it could be fit much better into the neighborhood. But once again, with the surrounding area, so. Um, I would uh, ask that there be, again, an advisory recommendation from UDC. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Shepard. Alder Sellers? Yeah, sorry I, for speaking a second time, but I did want to acknowledge the um, Hotel Red operator and um, clearly the neighborhood, even those speaking against this increased height, um, are very appreciative of the um, welcoming and community nature of the hotel. So kudos um, to the operators for that. Mr. Cantrell? Yes, and, and sorry again for speaking twice, but, um, um, but one of, if the applicant does come back, and I, I guess I would, I would hope that they would come back um, after receiving these comments, I, I would suggest, though, that it would be very, very helpful, helpful for uh, the Planning Commission members, and I think for Urban Design as well, and the, and the neighborhood, um, to see uh, computer-generated uh, visuals coming up and down Monroe and coming up and down uh, Regent Street and maybe from Jefferson Street looking at a building that would be at this intersection, which I do believe it's, there's a uniqueness here of this intersection and its, it's location. But a computer-rated, uh, uh, superimposed, uh, proposed building on that site would uh, alleviate at least some concerns, I think, from, from, from individuals of what it would look like from a distance. I mean, the visuals that you provided us are, are fine, but uh, this building, because it's increasing the height over the adopted plans by four stories, that's, that's very significant. So I think that that would be a suggestion I would have for the applicant uh, at any future presentations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I just want to add also that... Um, if the applicants do decide they want to come back, they should obviously work with the neighbors, particularly the comments about the facade that faces the neighbors, which seems to be their deepest concern. Uh, from our point of view, though, I would also like to see a significant improvement on the west facade facing up Monroe Street, which is, you know, just a, a, just a blank slab 
right now, and I, I think some some more work needs to be done there. Um, Alder Eskridge. Thank you. I don't know if it's appropriate for me to speak, but you all are yes, having. Yes, it is. Okay, yeah. thank you. Um, you all are having such a really valuable conversation that I just wanted to chime in with one additional piece, and I tried to make this in my comments that I sent to you all yesterday, but I don't think it came through quite enough. I think there's also a piece to this where, in our comprehensive plan and in our zoning and in our neighborhood plans, we really got away from spot zoning, which is really important, but there's also a consequence to that of unique sites like this that get looped in with a plan for a street where two stories is generally completely appropriate um, for the street, but perhaps there are certain sites in certain areas that call for something different. So I just wanted to make the point that, um, you know, we all heard earlier the update to the comprehensive plan, this idea that there are spots that perhaps people should be providing feedback um, for whether they might warrant zoning changes or might warrant some different plan amendment changes for um, higher density sites in the future. But doing that from a policy perspective versus doing that by responding to individual projects is something that I think would be more valuable for us going forward. Thank you. Um, anyone else? Then we have a motion before us. Uh, all those in favor say aye. Opposed, no. Uh, motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Uh, that brings us uh, all the way to business by members and secretary's report. Thank you. Let's see. For our April 3rd meeting, <clears throat> I think there will be a basketball game on that evening. We hope. But um, we will have uh, before you the uh, new hotel proposed at 4601 Fry Street. And that is a planned development um, for a 182-room hotel. Um, the one listed right below that, the Kleins Garden Center, will be referred to a future meeting. They are, they are making some changes to their plans. And then the other notable one on that evening is the 1603 to 1609 Monroe Street. And this is the conditional use request for the, um, for the drive-through facility and the recently approved four-story mixed-use building. And then looking ahead to April 24th, um, we should be seeing two related proposals um, on Blount and Johnson Street for uh, demolitions, relocations, and new small multifamily buildings. Uh, one of the two is actually a small mixed-use building on Johnson Street. And also the Judge Doyle project will be before you on the, on the 24th, and that involves you know, uh, the redevelopment of one and a half blocks um, on, the, on the Madison Municipal Building block and also the, um, the Government East parking garage. Those are the two main ones for the 24th. I also did want to mention again that um, you should have received a, a poll today via email for some dates in May, June, and July. We'd like to hold a special meeting in each of those months. In May, we're looking at doing a, doing a bus tour of our bus rapid transit corridors just to familiarize the Plan Commission and likely the Long Range Transportation Commission with those corridors. Um, and then on uh, the June and July meetings will be related to the, the comprehensive plan. Again, special work sessions for those. So the sooner you can get uh, available dates back to Ruth Ethington, the better. We can pin those dates down. And um, thank you very much in advance for your extra time in those, uh, particularly in those summer months. All right. Motion to adjourn. Seconded by Mr. Rui. All those in favor say aye. aye. We're adjourned.